0: So good morning, we started off last week talking about the five levels of the soul. Who remembers what are the five levels of the soul? Please, Cheryl.
1: Can I read them off my paper? Because otherwise I wouldn't remember them. (laughs) Nefesh. Nefesh. Ruach. Ruach. Neshama. Neshama. Chaya. Taya, and Yechida.
0: And Yechida. And we really just did a deep dive into what is Nefesh. So what did we define Nefesh? Because that's what we're holding. What do we define Nefesh as?
1: Cognitive intellectual soul.
0: No, that's not the Nefesh.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, that's Neshama. Never
0: mind. Got to go back a page. Somebody <laughs> else can fill in. How do, how do we define... In, in, in our deep dive, we really define the nefesh.
2: I think we said it's like first level. Right. Um, it's the, the functional mm-hmm. consciousness. It's the lowest representation. It's like the first run.
0: That's right. It's, it's the physical. It's the ethereal, material. It's the soul of matter. Soul uh, of matter.
3: Soul of what? The soul of matter, matter,
0: which means it's the element that is least conscious of its source. It's most, it's the part of our soul that is most removed from its source. It is related to bodily awareness. It's It's related to very much this world and the desires of this world. It's connected to physical pleasure.
3: Is it connected to pulsions, emotions? Uh, uh, emotions, first? Emotions,
0: we're going to get to in a second. This is lower, a lower level than emotions.
4: Okay.
0: It's the, the human instinct for survival. Yeah,
5: yeah.
0: okay. It, it enables the body to preserve. It organizes the cells. It transforms them into a coherent whole. That can sustain itself and there's a force that some theoretical scientists refer to as a morphic field
2: Okay.
0: in theoretical science which is for those of you who don't know which is a type of energy field that encircles each organism and prods it towards advancement and more intricate measures of of complexity and diversity so this is this idea of nefesh, that it moves physical existence along its own path towards development and growth. It's very important to understand that it's not, the nefesh is not just instinct, because remember, it's a soul. So it's going to want to uplift its element or its level to a higher level, because it's still a soul, and a soul the, the the analogy we always use for the soul is like the flame, right? It's constantly wanting to rise higher. So even the first level of the soul that seems very ethereal, it seems very physical. Even this first level of the soul, it wants to rise higher. Mm-hmm. So it's not just instinct, it's not just survival. It's survival and the path towards development and growth.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So this is the nefesh. Now let's go to, to level two. This is gonna we're gonna get into what Marianne was starting to talk about before, the ruach. Ruach I would spell phlegm-H. Uh, ruach. <laughs> the ruach is already a more refined and less materially related spirit. It's the world of emotions and feelings, the world of our emotions. It's a craving for self-expression, love, passion. And what is Generally referred to as spirituality is connected with Ruach. Oh, okay. Being moved by a work of art, a, a symphony of music, a, a beautiful person or object. This is all associated with the soul's dimension of Ruach. Any So you can already start seeing where nefesh is much more physical. Ruach is much more emotional, but not just emotional. It's emotional, spiritual. Remember, and I keep on repeating this because I don't want to turn this into a pseudo psychology class. This is still the soul. The soul its desire is to drive our spirits and being into rising higher into being better this is this is a very very important important element of soul because and this is i think what makes this particular teaching unique Because what we're doing is perhaps we are uh, approaching theoretical science and psychology. So it may sound familiar to those of you who are familiar with it, but it's really approaching it from a spiritual place and not approaching it, let's say, from a more scientific space. We can talk about the science, which is fascinating, and there's a lot of correlations. There's no question about it. But we're talking about Again, this path towards development and growth. So in the path towards development and growth, the ruach is the emotional level. Both nefesh, level one, and to some degree, ruach, this level two, are influenced by the body they come to inhabit. Remember, The soul is its own entity, independent of the body. But the fact is that during the soul's sojourn in this world, it's going to be, to a certain extent, affected by the body it inhabits. Now, which levels are affected by the body that it inhabits? Very much the first level, the level of nefesh and to a certain extent, the second level, the level of Ruach, their original brilliance can become somewhat obscured and clouded by the activities engaged in and perpetuated by the body. So if such is the case in the afterlife, they may need to undergo a refurbishment, a refurbishing. They may have to go undergo a, a cleansing so they can shine once again and regain, and I'm not using this so loosely in the metaphor, their transparent luster and awareness. Because essentially that purity is a certain level of transparency. So you can imagine if they become so connected to the body that they remove themselves to a certain extent from their spiritual state, well, when they want to once again become pure, they need to go back to that spiritual state. What we're going to call in our analogy the transparent luster, the awareness. The deeper reaches of the soul remain pristine. They remain pure. They're essentially unaffected by material and physical actions. Still, even these levels of the soul, the nefesh and the ruach, need to wait until they are cleansed so that the soul can join and become one with the source. So I want to just stop here a moment and pause and make sure you understand these two levels because these two levels are to a certain extent the levels that we as human beings living in this world use the most. They are most, mostly connected to us. The other levels that we're going to talk about are somewhat removed from us, but these two you can see on a daily basis. The nefesh and the ruach are the interactive elements. They are not only the interactive elements of our soul, but they're the most they're the most they're the closest to us. So we don't have to work very hard to use them. Sometimes, and I'm getting into maybe territory that I don't wanna get into because um, I don't wanna veer off from the five levels today. But sometimes people will say, trust your gut. And you're gonna have to ask yourself, where is that trust your gut coming from? Which level of the soul? Because if trust your gut is coming from nefesh, I'm not exactly sure it's a great idea to trust your gut. If it's coming from ruach, well, Maybe a good idea, but maybe not. Because ruach, which means literally wind, the emotions sometimes blow in the wind. You may not want that particular emotion to be your gut and be defining your decisions. Kabbalah doesn't like that at all. Doesn't like us defining our decisions based on something blowing in the wind, right? Emotions have that. Sometimes it totally makes sense. And sometimes... Got to be careful. So I, I just wanted to pr- approach this because I want to try to make it, it sounds theori- the, the, the theoretical, but it's actually very practical, especially these two levels. Chava, Celeste, please.
6: Thank you. Uh, I'm really interested in the idea of the, the soul being influenced by the body in which it inhabits. Mm-hmm. So I I, I have... A question, I guess. Could we equate that to what we are handed down genetically by our genetic material? Is that what we're saying? Is that the soul could be influenced by that physicality, like nature nurture?
0: So again, this is if we were talking about Freud, let's say we were approaching this from a Freudian perspective, then we can talk about nature and nurture. What's beautiful? in my humble opinion, about approaching this from a Kabbalistic perspective, is we're not worried about the nature nurture. You know why? Because the soul is pure. Which means, and I, I'm gonna say it as bluntly as I can, no matter what your nature is, no matter what your nurture is, through your soul, you have the ability to rise above it and define your own destiny.
6: I like that, it's empowering. Um.
4: Which means if if,
0: if somebody says to me, I am genetically predisposed to be a certain Mm -hmm. way. Let's say someone says to me, I'm genetically predisposed to be an addict. Mm -hmm. Or my father and mother were divorced. My grandparents were divorced. It's just inevitable. I'm going to be divorced. The soul. Yes. You want to talk about Freud? We can talk about Freud, but today we're not talking about Freud. We're talking about the soul. The soul is pure. And the soul, if you want to connect to a more physical slash emotional perspective, then maybe you're right. Maybe you are genetically predisposed to divorce, or you can say, I have a soul and the soul is pure, and I have the ability to rise above that. It could be true, I'm not denying that, and Kabbalah is not denying that, but it's also, also saying that you have the ability to rise above that. So you can decide to define your life based on your genetic predisposition, or you can say, no, my soul is pure, my soul is good. And as a result of that, I am going to make the right choices actively. And we're going to talk about this when we talk about the other three levels of the soul.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: I can make the right choices. And as a result, I can define my own destiny.
6: That's very empowering.
0: You seem excited, or maybe it's too early in the morning to be excited. Okay.
6: <laughs> well, Okay, well, but I, I, I just, I still, I, now I followed all that. And I'm still missing the piece of how a body, how the physicality of a body influences the soul. Like what, what is that place?
0: Let's go back to the analogy of the, the candle. Let's pretend the body is the wick and the soul is the flame. There's no way for the soul to be in this world without the wick without the body. So naturally, the body is going to have some influence. The the soul, we're we're not walking, talking souls. So because the soul must inhabit the flesh and blood of the body, it's going to be affected by it. Not every part of the soul is affected by it. Which parts of the soul are affected by it? These two parts of the soul that we just spoke about, the nefesh and the ruach, those are the two parts of the soul that are affected by the body. They are the wick. Now we're going to start moving our way into the candle, into the, into the, not, into the flame. Does that make sense?
6: Yes, that's helpful. Thank okay.
0: you. If you need more clarification, let me know. Cheryl, please.
1: Um, I was going to ask something relative to what said, My question is, since most of our lives are lived in nefesh and ruach, and you said sometimes they get out of hand or whatever, and they need to be cleansed, is that the soul cleansing? Is this like a karmic release cleansing? And there's a part (laughs) two to that. Do we know when we need to be cleansed and how... Is that process
0: done? Okay. So let me clarify this because I think it's a really important question. Let's go back to genetic predisposition. We are genetically predisposed to be more connected to the nefesh and ruach. There's very simple reasons for it. We're physical people living in a physical world. But we don't have to be. We only spoke about two of five. There are three more levels of the soul. The difference between these two and those three is in order to be connected to those three levels of the soul, we have to work on them. There are people who live in this world and they're no better than an animal, but that's their choice, passive or active. I would hope to say passive, but you don't have to make that choice. You don't have to live your life based on instinct. You could make choices that are intellectual, but to make an intellectual choice, it's not natural. You have to. That's where therapy.
1: That's where therapy usually comes in, or right. somebody to guide you in that path, exactly, so that you could learn to make those choices to go against the grain of what you think you've been dealt, and you want to go ahead. But if we didn't have somebody like you, and somebody like me who has had decades of therapy, so I get part Mm -hmm. of that, of having to reach, you know, change myself of the parts I don't like. Those people are just among us, but they don't know how to grow.
0: They are, are do you know what I call them? I'm sorry to interrupt you, you know what I call them? I call them shells of people. They're not really there. They're not really there. And I I so agree with you, Cheryl, and and I'm so happy you said that. Yes, in our world, it would be therapy. In Kabbalah's world, it would be education to empower. It's such a cliche word today, empower, but I'm talking about really empower, that that the choice is in your hands. Right. So Mm -hmm. now that you know, now that you can actually start, at least for the first two levels of the soul, you can start saying, oh, um, I think This is very ethereal. This must be very nefesh. Do I want to act based on nefesh at this moment? Oh, this this craving. This is a craving for self-expression. This is very ruach. So we now have a shared language to, to define some of the very difficult parts of ourselves because they're so much part of us. They are so connected to us. It is so difficult for us to define them. That's why. Wait till we get to the other parts of the soul. You're going to say, oh, that's easy. Yes, it's easy because they're somewhat removed. These two are very difficult. It's really difficult to stop and say, whoa, I just acted out of instinct. That was not the right thing to say. Uh, Please, can you just take back the words I said? They, they, they came from my nefesh. I didn't want to say it that way. I'm, I, I want to act from a different place. That's, that's a very, very difficult statement. Most people would consider you crazy for saying that. Though it's such an amazing thing to be able to do. You know, cut that from the record. I want to try this differently. I acted out of instinct. If every single person who made a decision based on instinct would be able to check themselves and say, no, I did not make the right choice, I used the wrong part of my soul to make this choice, and then try it again, I think we live in a much more um, a healthier world.
4: I was going to use the word enlightened, but I, I think it's not enlightened. It's just a healthier world. Does that clarify? Okay. So
0: as long as you don't have any other questions about these specific parts of the soul, I want to start getting into the next three levels. Because the next three levels are going, to a certain extent, if we really understand each of the levels for what they are, they're going to really clarify a lot of difficulties that we have in this world, especially emotional challenges, especially mental health challenges. I'm not gonna start throwing out words like, oh, you know, Kabbalah has answers that psychology hasn't gotten to yet doesn't matter. It's a perspective. You can take it or leave it. It's not better or worse. I don't like when we start judging things by better or worse. It is. This is what it is. This is the mechanism. This is the shared language. And from there, we can have a conversation. Let's go to level three. Level three, funny enough, is the most popular word that is used in Hebrew for soul called neshama for someone who wouldn't who never had a class like this who never had a conversation like this if you ask them what is soul in Hebrew they're going to say neshama but it's only now we understand the third level the middle level it's the it's the it's the middle child syndrome so maybe neshama is you know the balanced because it has the both sides. I don't know. You can decide for that. Nishama. What is it? The third level of the soul, Nishama, is an intellectual awareness. Intellectual awareness. So, much like the rational soul that we spoke about in our texts earlier, the Nishama is the power that allows us to be a creator in our own right, to choose and co-create our life by crafting the contexts within our which our life occurs. Here is the power of the intellect. The power of the intellect is the power to decide Decide, this is intellectual, decide how you're going to respond. You see, if we just had a nefesh, we totally respond based on whatever, you want to call it gut or whatever our initial reaction is. Okay, if we had a nefesh and a ruach, we would be responding based on our guttural reaction and our emotional feelings, our mood. Then The neshama comes to play and says, no, no, no. You've got lots of choices in front of you, choose one. Choose your point of view. Choose how you're gonna look at the matter. Be in control. You are in control of every choice that you make. Don't make passive choices. Passive choices are the choices that you didn't choose when you could have. The choices that you could have chosen, were all free. They didn't cost you anything. So why not make an active choice instead of a passive choice? By taking an active role in forming and refining the perspectives that generate our, what I'm going to call, psychic responses to the content or the stimuli that we experience throughout our life we have the ability the actual ability to collaborate with the creator how are we collaborating we're collaborating in the creation of what will be called our life the nishama is the real I, not the capital I. Nefesh is the capital I, it's the real lowercase i. In our society, I think we have a capital I disease. The only letter in the English language that's always capitalized by itself is the I. And then along came Google Docs or Microsoft Word. And when I want to have a lowercase i day, all I wanted was just a little bit of humility in my life. A little lowercase i. I'm not the greatest thing that happened since sliced challah. I'm not the greatest thing that happened since chicken soup. I wanted to have a little bit of a lowercase i day. And then I press space bar on my lowercase i, and what happens? It auto-capitalizes. It auto-capitalizes. The world looks at me and says, oh, you want humility? (laughs) We're going to show you. We're going to auto-capitalize you. You see, the neshama is the real I. It's the lowercase I. It's the human in the being, the interior, the deeper and realer self that makes those ultimate choices that determine our lives and will shape our character.
4: So much of those things that have determined our lives may have been passively chosen. They
0: may have been emotionally chosen. They may have instinctly chosen. The neshama says, take a step back. Look around. You always, always always have lots of choices in front of you, always. If you can't find the choice, look for it. If you can't find the choice, ask the question. You will always have the choice. Nishama is the cognitive faculty of the human being. It's represented by the linear sequential manner, of processing knowledge.
4: Language, the use of words
0: for all you wordsmiths, language is a derivative of this way of thinking. The linguistic mind, the ability to form comprehensive ideas and formulate communicative constructs is a byproduct of the neshama. Look at that. The choice of the words we use. I find so much, even while I'm sitting here talking, I have to maybe choose a particular word over another word. Especially since often I'm translating it from Hebrew in my head. But even because Hebrew and English don't match up, I have so many different choices of words that I can use to define what we're trying to say. One word may be a word you never heard of. So what's the point of me using it? So as a teacher, I'm trying to find the best way to take very advanced ideas and to simplify them to the point where we can all understand them. Part of that is the construct of language, using words that you know instead of words that you don't know. There are really great Latin translations to a lot of the Hebrew words, but you probably never heard of them. So, what is that? What's the point? But I mean, for the same price, I can translate it to Chinese. Just go on Google Translate, and then I press the button, and it it tells me how to say it. (laughs) But what is that going to do for any of us? So, just the choice of word is a choice that comes from the Nishama. And so often, I'm sure you've done this. I do this all the time where I'm like, scratch that. I don't like that word. Let's try a different word. Cause this word didn't work. That's a choice. And that's a beautiful thing to get into the habit of doing because if we can get into the habit of doing it with words we can get into the habit of doing it with choices of emotions and decisions and things, small or big. You're like, well, that's a small choice. That's not a big deal. Yeah, well, a lot of little things become big very quickly. Or if you're not in the habit of making good small choices, how can you be in the habit of making good big choices? So Nishama is a really important element. That ability to be able to, to think in that linear sequential manner, to
4: process the knowledge, to Stop and think. Just stop. You want to make a move?
0: You want to make a choice? Take a step back. Think. Such a powerful, powerful exercise. Stop and think. Don't have a guttural reaction.
4: In the book of Bereshit, a few weeks ago, we started, we restarted the Torah. In
0: this book of Genesis, when the the Torah speaks about the creation of the human, it says that the creator, listen to the words. Remember, we're we're now wordsmiths. And I'm going to try to use the best translation I can for you. The creator blew into Adam. No, I'm going to see. Let's check that. Scratch that. The Creator blew into Adam's nostrils a nishmat chayim. Nishmat. What what do you hear in the word nishmat? Nishama. That's why it's such a popular word. Because when God created Adam in the Torah, the Torah describes it as nishmat chayim, which is nishmat Chaim, a breath of life. The phrase "neshama" implies, according to many ancient
4: commentaries, the spirit of speech. It was the words, the power of
0: words, that God used words to create the world. God used words to breathe nishmat chayim, a breath of life, into Adam's nostrils. It was at this particular juncture, in the process of humanity's creation, the point at which humanity received the power of speech, that Adam became a full-fledged human being. Actually, in the Torah, when it refers to humankind, it refers to us as midaber, the speaking ones. The animal kingdom are called the chai, they're the animal kingdom, but we are differentiated by our ability to formulate words and speak and communicate. The human is ultimately defined by our godlike ability to articulate and express our thoughts. And our dreams and our feelings to others. You see, God used words to create the world. When we use words to communicate, that is a co-creation mechanism. We're using the same mechanism that God used to create the world. Think about the power there is in our
4: words. If you can create a world with that, imagine what else you can do. This
0: fundamental impulse of one human being's ability to share themselves with another human being is the basis of our society and culture. The most important thing that I wanna teach as a rabbi to couples before they get married is the art of communication and every couple communicates differently. When I come to the chuppah, And I stand there and I look at my cup of wine and then I look up at a beautiful couple in the middle of their wedding ceremony and I'm the one who's supposed to bless that ceremony. What right do I have to bless that ceremony? What did I do to set that up for a long-lasting and healthy relationship, especially knowing the divorce rate and what it is today? That's why communication and teaching young couples' communication, amongst many other things. But communication, I would say, is such an important part because it's a co-creative mechanism.
4: Civilization itself begins to form as a common language
0: takes hold, transforming a loose-knit group of individuals into a cohesive unit. We are a cohesive unit. This is exact proof we have nothing else here but our language. We're not even sitting physically in the same room, even though I think we are to a certain extent. But we use our language to become this cohesive unit here in this room with shared elements of history, with shared elements of purpose, of identity, and those shared elements are communicated through myth, through narrative, through poetry, through philosophy, through law.
4: That's the power of the Nishama. That's the power of the third level of the soul. Cheryl, please.
1: I understand what you said about neshama, but then I get confused, excuse me, about that spark of life that we get from um, the nefesh side. We have that divine spark. Isn't that divine spark also, or doesn't that also allow us to make those choices like you're talking about? Having choice, it doesn't sound like you do until you get to higher levels of the soul. Let's see. Uh, not sure that
0: I I think that I you're, you're you're confusing a little bit, whereas the spark is all five levels.
1: Ah, okay.
0: The question you just is don't which, use as much of it. Right. Which level the, the spark in level one is obviously more apparent because it's closer to us. What we're talking about here in Nishama is you have to actually use your mind. You have to stop and think. That's hard sometimes. It's much easier just to act on instinct. Okay. Hava.
1: Thank you. Thank
6: you. I have a... Thank you very much for explaining that so well. And I gained a new insight into the Hasidus, um, the way the marriage process, I understand a little more now, something that didn't make sense to me for a while Mm -hmm. about matchmaking and it's not necessarily dictated by um, Nefesh or I guess ideally it shouldn't be, right?
0: By the way, I, 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 I Will love to teach matchmaking based on this process, as you totally can see, right? So many people who make matches—they're doing it based on nephesh. And I'm sorry to interrupt you on this, but no, it's okay. such an important thing. They're just shooting—they're shooting arrows in the dark, you know. Oh, I had a feeling. I had—I'm—I'm I'm happy. It does work, but I think there's a skill to it. I think we can do much better making matches based on other parts of our soul, not just on the, on, on the intuition. Intuition absolutely. is great, absolutely, but not only.
6: And I think that's, you know, that's also a something that's that's gained with with age if you don't have a rabbi to guide you. I just personally, I wasn't ready to be married in my 20s because I didn't have that kind of guidance. I got married later in life, in my 30s, thankfully. <laughs> um, I have a question. I hope it's okay if it's uh, on the biblical side of things um, from the Torah in creation. When Eve is becomes aware that she is naked is this what you are talking about when you say um the bodily awareness like is this the moment where her nefesh is like whoa i mean yeah
0: yeah before because before when she was in the Garden of eden she wasn't the nefesh wasn't the most the most apparent part of herself she was acting from actually Yehida, which we'll get to the highest level and all of a sudden Adam and Eve are tossed out of the garden and it goes, the pendulum swings the other way. And what was the least apparent part of their being became the most apparent part. You see, the idea that God had was that there was going to be evil in the world, but it was going to be theoretical. And when they took from the tree, they took the evil from theoretical to practical. Like in a perfect world, there would have been the tree of knowledge. Don't touch it and have a happy life. But of course, we all touch the tree of knowledge. Go, go to a child and say, don't touch that. What are they going to do? Well, why did you touch
4: that? I don't know. That's Nefesh. Neph, that's exactly what Nefesh is. So in the Garden of Eden,
0: Nefesh was barely there all of a sudden, in an instant, nefesh became everything. And she's like, whoa, this is too much for me. What do I do
4: now? I gotta hide part of this nefesh. There's too much nefesh here. Thank you. That
6: must've been really jarring. Going from a oneness an expansive oneness with Hashem to, I have a body and I'm naked. I can't imagine what it's, that. Would be.
0: It it must have been an insane, but but you can see in the reaction. I think the Torah does a good job in the narrative, kind of describing that
4: and like that jarring level, like whoa whoa, this is scary. Any other questions? So, just what the spark yes. is that we mentioned,
0: Julianne, Sure. Well, what's your question? I saw a lot of your your different things, but I thought most of them um, are just uh, summaries. I want. Do you have any questions there?
7: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, s- someone mentioned the spark. Just wondered what that was specifically.
0: The spark that I was talking about is that God breathed into Adam a breath of life. That's the spark. That is from God using the breath. For example, Kabbalah differentiates the the breath of breathing into Adam a breath of life to, let's say, the breath that we use when we speak. I mean, we can speak for a long time, but how long can we breathe like from the inner part of our being, let's say you're blowing up a balloon. How many balloons can you blow up in an hour? You get tired very quickly because it's coming from a much deeper part of who we are. Whereas we're not gonna become as tired as quickly when it comes to, um, we're not gonna become as tired as quickly when it comes to, let's say, talking. You know, the, the, the breath that we use when 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 we talk. So the then in this analogy, Julian, the 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 um the way that God breathed into Adam a breath of life, it came from the innards. It came from that the same place, let's say like blowing up the balloon compared to talking. That's the Kabbalistic example. Does that clarify it?
7: Um, partly, thank you, but, but is it what you would call a divine spark? I, I mean, just it's, tell it's, what a term- word that
0: you, it's a divine spark could be a word that's used, but but what does it really mean? Unless it's defined, it really doesn't mean anything. Ah. Divine spark, yeah? You know, it, it sounds poetic. You know, you can save it for uh, King David's Psalms. <laughs> but it doesn't, you know, here we have to define
4: that. We're using... The words to try to define that okay
7: okay thank you
4: i would love to um
0: to go around the room so today my goal in today's class was to give you uh, a deeper understanding of nefesh ruach and neshama the first three levels of the soul obviously you now know that next week we're going to go a step further and then we're going to head our way into the, the, the other two because there's two more that we haven't even touched on or spoken about, which I think will also kind of, this, here's my cliffhanger for next week, it'll blow your mind because if you, if you think about it, most of us just use Nefesh Ruach and Neshama. What else is there? But there's two other levels and no pun intended, about blowing your mind. So that was my goal today. I would love to hear what your nugget is. What, what nugget? What are you taking home with you? What is either an aha moment, a change, um, something that you had a clarification on? I'd love for you to share with us. This is your moment uh, to teach. I will start since uh, Cheryl and Chava have been so... Uh, so uh, so active in today's class. Uh, I, I I think we'll start with one of you.
6: What else is new? Right. <laughs> Thank you for your patience. All of all of our questions. I appreciate the clarity. Um, the newfound clarity uh, that I found with these three levels, and the insight that it revealed into the Torah and also the practical nature of how we handle matchmaking, that that was really helpful for me. And I also appreciate the subject matter of not living uh, a reactionary life and being conscious with the way we communicate with what words we use. I found that to be really beautiful. Thank you. Okay, Cheryl, I'm going to pass the mic. Thanks,
1: Carla. I had the opportunity to be a co-creator this week because I wrote a speech for our son's wedding, which is Sunday. Wow. So as I'm writing it, the tears are falling. I saved it on the computer so that I could go back and change the words. When you talk about being able to change or we are co-creating, I wanted those words to be more special than what I had written. That's a good thing when you have the time and you write it down and then you reread and then all of a sudden your brain says, oh, I could make that a little nicer. Just as you, Rabbi, when you write to us and you say, I have the honor of your presence in this class. Nobody does that. Well, I don't mean nobody. I mean, you do, but I feel that message as opposed to thanks for coming to class today. This is what we're doing next week, or we'll see you next week. Those words were chosen, whether you change them over time or not. It spoke to me. I don't know if it spoke to others, but I like the idea of being co creators. Now, if I could do that on a whim, When I'm speaking and choose those words by talking slower, maybe, I don't know. But in writing, I understand that. Um, I'll try better to think more about what's an appropriate thing. But thank you for today's class. I appreciate it. Um, Marianne,
3: would you like to share with us? I'm gonna open my mic. Thank you, Cheryl. Well, it's just an opening for me, Uh, it's the first time I have this cabal class, and um, I really have to exercise uh, to work on my concentration, because it was, uh, uh, I mean, the basic thing to get to try to communicate, and just to listen to the others, and um, Rabbi, I want to thank you for, uh, for what you say, and for the sharing of the other teams, but the thing for, for me today, because I've asked just, the Talmud for me is just related to things. Kabbalah is more, I was looking for a, a bridge between Torah and Kabbalah. Uh, and my English is not very good. So you have to excuse me. I really, it's a, it's a, it's a good exercise for me, too. Uh, the bridge between Torah and Kabbalah and things that I'm thinking about is, more that uh, the soul is pure. So this is um, another question for me, because I think that, um, and I really want to be open-minded. I have to wonder why the soul is pure. Uh, this was my, the, my question for, for, uh, of today, you know? So um, it's really I, really, I really love to open my mind to other kinds of ways of thinking and ways of speaking so i i'm sure i i'm sure that i've learned something just to listen to even if i don't speak too much i just try to speak if i have a question or some things to say but the question for me is today bridge between torah and kabbalah and the soul is pure which i'm um, i'm a little bit um I'm not too sure (laughs) of, you know, so thank you very much because I'll be back next, uh, next, um, next week for the Talmud or a Kabbalah anyway, anyway, I'm learning something and it's what I want to do in my life. Keep on learning, you know, knowledge is very important to me.
0: Amazing, Marianne. Well, thank you for joining us. And do you want to pass it on to someone else?
2: Uh, Ilana? Yeah. Okay. Hi, good morning and and welcome. Um, I think it's a really beautiful group and the feeling is very, uh, very positive. It's always very positive. And I think today's message was uh, extremely um, positive and uplifting. And I really like the idea of, you know, stop and think. Like that really rang a bell for me, like, you know, um, we don't have to be in a reactive stage. And the other thing is, I was thinking about previous classes that we had um, when you spoke about the tzaddik, you know? So I have a feeling like the soul and the tzaddik are, like, closely re- related at the next level. And um, maybe it's something that, like, you know, uh, I as a mere mortal they never achieve the highest level of the soul. And also I was definitely one of those, those people when you ask me, what is the soul? I only was aware of one level, the nishama. Like that's all I understood. So I really appreciate the, the learning too.
8: Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna ask uh, Jill to speak. Thank you. Um, so I thought earlier when you were talking about genetic predisposition and we can get, well, the, well, the idea that came to mind was a victim mentality that our genetics are this way. So we are that way, or our circumstances are this way. So that, and victim mentality is something I'm really, really familiar with and spent a lot of time there. And yet during that time, there was uh, there was this this like nagging dissatisfaction or this desperation or this something, but I had no idea what it was. I had the opportunity to take some classes and realized about the whole we choose to be a victim in circumstances. You know, it's it's not that we can't be victimized, but that's a different thing, um, and. Now I'm seeing, oh, I think that dissatisfaction was those higher pieces of the soul calling, saying, hey, there's something else here. You don't have to be stuck in, stuck in the muck, kind of, which is, for me, how I felt for a long time. So you're, you're kind of putting out a blueprint here of what that was, at least for me. And I'm just uh, thrilled that that's kind of my aha for today, that um, that it, it's all been laid out there. So thank you. Um, Kelsey,
4: how are you? No, Kelsey? I'm sorry, I'm on my phone and (laughs) it's kind of hard
5: to unmute sometimes. Um, Yeah, there's a lot going through my mind right now. I was actually able to just kind of sit and really be in class today, which was really nice. Um, I was kind of thinking about, to kind of piggyback onto that Jill, um, how there are studies that have shown that we can actually turn off genetic markers, um, like addiction. And so kind of like whenever you start becoming more aware and you start growing, you can um, take better care of yourself and turn these markers off. Um, That's kind of like another rabbit hole, but um, yeah, just like the different levels of the soul and how it relates to life practically. And um, like the nephesh is that reactionary place, Uh, and then we can get to a level where we respond in all of the language of everything. I really try to focus on that more so, and sometimes I can't really find the words, and maybe that's an issue with the English language because sometimes it's hard to really justify the concept you're trying to express with, you know, simple words or the words that we have. So anyway, I just... (laughs) I always have like a thousand thoughts going through my mind at the end of class. Um, let's see here. Susie, you haven't spoken, have you? At the end of class.
1: You have to unmute, Susie. We can't hear you.
9: Okay, can you hear me now? Okay, great. So it was a really good class to come back to because I haven't been to a class for a while. Uh, So I got many things out of today's class. Um, I like the comparison of the capital I to the little I. And it's interesting that the higher level than the Shama is a little I because it means that you've removed your ego and you're thinking from a higher level and you don't need to be noticed as much. That's, I think that's what you were trying to say. Yeah. And then the other thing that I got out of it is um, if we're using our Nishama to make decisions, what you said is so true is that it's a higher level of decision-making process because you realize you do have more options available to you if you don't react right away and you sit back and you think about all your options, and that's using your intellect to make decisions and not your ego and not your animal instinct. Um, And something that I thought about, but you didn't say is um, if we act on instinct alone, then many times afterwards we have regret. As an example, if we overeat, then afterwards we regret it. And if we speak from our ego and then afterwards we regret it,
4: I think that feeling of regret comes from the higher level of your soul. Is that right? It's a really beautiful teaching. Yeah.
9: It's a really beautiful
4: teaching
0: that... that that such a practical understanding of what happens when we make choices based on our ruach or our nefesh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where you you know you you thought it would be great, but then what do they say? Uh, a moment on the lips and a lifetime on the hips, right? <laughs> right? Like you know you you for the moment it was such a good choice, but right. it wasn't really a good choice,
9: right? And that feeling of regret comes from that higher level. Yeah. You knew it was wrong. You And you learn from that feeling, from that higher level.
0: And I love that you said that I, I, I never thought of it that way, that the lowercase i is really the, the
4: uppercase i. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. Yeah, anyways, thank you. That was really great.
0: Are we missing anyone? Did anyone not say anything, did not speak? Uh... Cover. oh yes Jillian.
7: thank you so the new thing for me is mainly the speech the concept of speech which I'm thinking about on four different levels the first level is the whether the we're in the image of God in the respect of speech instead of or more so than choice which had been my previous assumption the second level is this concept of co-creation through speech which i guess is more or less completely new to me um third level is whether through speech it's like magic or witchcraft spelling things into existence or transforming things and the fourth level is whether god is or uh, was or is or will use speech in the aspect of uh, imagining or whether it's a physical speech as in vibration so is god's speech imagining uh letters or words or is it creating vibrations physical sounds or and was it and will it in other words there's three different possibilities over time so it's not one answer three answers those are all the things that i'm thinking about and they can be summarized to speech (laughs) from from today's class (laughs)
0: yeah I'm, i'm 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 fascinated and i've heard this so often that the moment we start talking metaphysical, which we're gonna get a bit into next class, it's that we start going into, you know, witchcraft and, and, the, and the occult, which is not necessarily true. For some reason, that's kind of where our society, you know, pushes itself. And I'm not just, I was just pointing on it because Julian, you mentioned it. And, and, I, and I think that I'd like to, you know, this is a little cliffhanger for next week, I like to see if we can redefine that and not look at it. Because for me, the moment starts someone, I mean, it's funny that we just passed a particular uh, holiday that people sometimes celebrate having to do with some of this kind of stuff. But, you know, for me, because it's so prevalent in our society, I want to redefine it and try to find words that can redefine it and see if the concept of the metaphysical or the concept of the spiritual makes a little more sense. And these are words that have been used and used and overused and maybe kind of like the word God. I don't like the word God because there's so much negative association with it, even though when we talk about the word God, we know that we're not talking about the same God that, let's say, heaven forbid, to even put it in the same sentence as like suicide bombers talk about, but yet, it's a word that they use to def- to to justify the most cruel and terrible actions that they do. And so, going back to this idea of words, look at how much, how much, uh, how heavy a word can be, and how how disconnected that word can be from what we would think its sources. And so. Um, that's a little cliffhanger for next week. With that, we're already a little over time. So I wish you uh, a wonderful week for those of you who have to go. If you if you don't have to go, then you can stay. But I want to at least get permission for those who have to move on to the rest of their day to be able to. And Cheryl, if you're going, Mazel Tov. Thank, thank to you. Good news. Thank you. Thank, mazel you. Tov. Mazel
1: right. well, thank you. We'll report next week. Thank <laughs> you for the class, everybody. Bye. Send thank a picture you.
2: from the wedding. Send us a
1: picture. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful.
2: Thank you. I also have to go, but thank you very much. I'll be back next week.
0: See you next
4: week. Merci. Thank you to all. Okay.